Hello and welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. This title is Choosing Hope. Quote from Maya Angelou. If you don't like something, she says, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. We're looking at the story of Jesus and Lazarus and we're going to think about how some people react in a different way to others and whether we have a choice over how we react to the same situation. Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. He's become ill and he's died. And Jesus uh, arrives at his home and uh, sees the folks grieving and he weeps over their distress. And all of that we've looked at in previous um, studies. And we pick it up at verse 37. In fact, we're just going to stay in verse 37. Some of those who were watching said this. Some of them said, Could he not have opened the eyes of the blind man and have kept this man from dying? So Jesus come and he's wept and they said, Look, see how he loves him. But then others react in a different way. Some say, Look, he's so loving. Others say, Well, why didn't he come earlier? If he's got the power to open the eyes of the blind man, which we saw a few chapters ago, why doesn't he stop Lazarus from dying? And on the face of it, that's a pretty legitimate question. And it's a question that many of us ask uh, at times of great tragedy and trauma. And we ask ourselves, why doesn't God do things before they are needed? Why can't he stop things so that we never, ever know that they've happened? Well, I guess it's possible that he may stop far more than we know about, but the, the, the reality is still there. Bad things happen which we might theoretically think God could have stopped. Why doesn't God avoid all sadness? Why does he allow these tragedies to happen? Why particularly did Jesus allow Lazarus to die? He waited a couple of days. He knew that he was dead. He waited and let them grieve for four days before he got there. Why does God do that? Why does God take so long to do good things? So on the face of it, it's a pretty fair question and a question that many of us perhaps might have asked. Why? Now, I'm not going to give you a definitive answer to that question. Why? Just to point us in the direction we've looked at other places you can see on our Questions of Life series. But there's something to do with the freedom of creation, that God doesn't intervene and micromanage creation, that all of the world and us included have been given free will. And there's something about God's greater purposes, that there are times when what God wants to do out of suffering is uh, greater. And probably in this situation, there's a mixture of both. And in, in every area of suffering, there's always a mystery. We don't fully understand these things. So I'm going to park that there because I've dealt with that on plenty of other talks. And uh, if you want to look at the other John studies, if you want to look at uh, the questions around John 9, you'll see me looking at that in a lot more detail. But what I want to look at is the fact that actually this question wasn't particularly legitimate. It wasn't actually a genuine question about that. It was more about a resentment of Jesus. It was more about choosing a response to Jesus. Because the previous verse has told us that uh, they, others could see the love that Jesus had for Lazarus. So it seems in the context, as we'll look at our next talk, we'll see that actually there was almost a choice to say, we don't like what Jesus is doing. There is a negativity that has been chosen. Because others could see that what Jesus was doing was loving, but they chose to blame. They chose to find fault. 
So there are a number of things about their negativity. One is that they were choosing to find fault rather than gratitude. Rather than being grateful that Jesus was here to come and raise Jesus, they were critical that he hadn't come early enough. And they were critical without waiting to see what Jesus was going to do. Jesus had told them that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. They may or may not have heard that, but they certainly were jumping to conclusions. They got straight in there with the negativity, with the criticism. They were judging Jesus rather than trusting him. And that was a choice. Rather than step back and say, well, we can see that Jesus is powerful, he opened the eyes of the blind man. We can see that he's loving. We can see that in his demeanor. We're going to trust that the combination of his power and his love will produce something good. So rather than making that choice of trust, rather than stepping back and waiting, they chose to judge. They chose to be critical. And they chose to spread that around others. Look, see, they wanted to sow that sense of, um, uh, of rejection of Jesus. And they had chosen resentment, not hope. They were choosing to resent Jesus rather than put their hope in him. And I want to suggest that that's a daily choice for all humanity. As we live in a broken and suffering world, we live in a world where not everything that we want happens and many things happen that grieve God, that God weeps over as we looked at in our last talk. And we have a choice as to whether we choose to resent God, to blame God, or whether we choose hope. And it's clear from what follows in the next talk and the next chapter, the next few verses of this chapter, that they were wanting to incite anger against Jesus. They wanted to stir people against him. They wanted people to reject Jesus. And they uh, chose incitement rather than peace. And when we gossip, when we criticize, when we comment, when we tweet, when we pass on negativity about governments, about individuals, about leaders, about uh, media personalities, about family, when we pass that on, when we share that with somebody else, we are intending to solicit a response of agreement. We are sowing anger instead of peace. We want to stir something up. Charles Chuck Swindle says these words. The longer I live, he says, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failure, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. Attitude will make or break a company, a church, a home. And the remarkable thing is, he says, we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do, the only thing we can do is play the one string we have, he says, and that is our attitude. And he concludes, I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. 
I don't know whether you would agree with that. Life is 10% what happens to us, and he says 90% of how we act to it. I don't know whether those percentages are real or not, but I think there's a huge truth in what he says. And we know people who respond positively to issues and problems and difficulty. And we know what it is to be drained by those who respond negatively. So how might we uh, ensure we are hopeful and not critical of people? How can we make that choice? I want to suggest just a few things in the light of what we've just talked about. And the first is something that we've talked a lot about in our church, and we talk regularly about in our call to prayer, which is to choose gratitude. And it is a choice. It is a choice to look for the good in any situation. We can always see the bad. There are always things that we lack. There are always things that haven't gone well. But there will always be things that we can be grateful for. It may be to do with our health. It may be to do with our resources. It may be to do with our family. And one of the issues is that we very often take our eyes off the good to focus on the negative. And then sometimes when something really good is taken away, where point of grief or bereavement or great loss or when we're really ill, we wonder why for the previous 20, 30 years we took that for granted. And choosing gratitude is to say, I'm going to fill my mind with the things that are good, with the beauty of creation, with the wonder of relationships, with the joy of health, with the fulfillment of life and church and uh, calling on our lives. You'll know that I talk about doing the happy hand and other people talk about doing other ways of just doing gratitude, five things perhaps to be grateful for every day. But it is a choice. It's a choice not to let the negative overwhelm us. And the second choice is to choose to wait. And that's a big biblical theme. And so often the Bible writers talk about waiting on God. What do they mean? What they mean is they don't jump to the conclusion right there and then that everything is a disaster. But they wait to see what God is going to do. They wait to see what will unfold. And they wait with a sense of hope and a sense of faith. They wait believing that God will come through. And in any given moment, we see the negative. But when we choose to wait, we say, I'm not going to focus on now. I'm going to focus on what is to be. And that's about choosing hope and faith. We choose, choose to put our hope in Jesus. Then in the light of eternity, the one day in heaven, all that seems really unfair and wrong right now in this moment will be healed. And the pain and the grief and the sadness will be washed away. And that's a faith. And we choose that hope and faith. So we choose not to be critical or blame God or blame others. We choose not to spread negativity. But we choose to wait on God. And so that's our final choice. We choose to spread hope and faith. We choose to share that. We choose not to to incite and share criticism. We choose not to try and stoke up people to agree with us about how bad governments or leaders or people or family or colleagues or the public or the world is. But rather we share a sense of waiting on God and hoping. And we choose not to be negative. So our questions for reflection. Where have we a negative attitude? And where is God asking us to wait for what we cannot see? 
And where is God asking us to spread faith, not criticism? Let's take a little bit of an infantry on our lives and ask ourselves the hard questions. Are we people who grumble, who moan, who complain, who join in the British way of being negative about the weather, about uh, politics, about sports, about church, about the community, about our street, about our neighbourhood? Or are we people who choose to wait and look for what God is doing? Wait in faith that there will be green shoots and things to be grateful for. Let's pray together. Lord, will you preserve us from being people who choose negativity? And will you forgive us for the times we fall into that? Help us to choose hope. Help us to choose to wait for you without grumbling, without fear, without complaint, but with faith and hope. And for those of us listening and watching right now who are in that place of uncertainty, the in-between, the Saturday between the Friday and the Sunday, the time between loss and resurrection, Lord, would you bring your peace and help us to wait with faith and hope for you. In Jesus' name, amen.